Welcome to Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. Today we're talking to Dr. Penelope Shrive about structural health monitoring for historical buildings. Why is it important to properly monitor the condition or health of older structures? The reason I feel structural health monitoring is important is because it preserves historical, I guess, values in our society and the importance by looking at the building, seeing what the structure's made of, how we used to do it in the past, materials we did in the past, and then learning about that because we've lost a lot of that technology now. So relearning all that and putting it in perspective of today's world and then keeping that value in that way it was built. Yeah. We asked Penelope, what are the most important things we can look at to learn from older buildings? So currently, I think our design methods are based mostly on computer analysis, um, using very high-end modern materials with strict quality control to that sort of end and meeting those goals based on computer outputs. And I think people have lost the old skills of being able to go to an old structure. Like nothing, the Masons didn't build those old buildings in Europe using a computer. They did it off knowledge, basically experience. And they had worked out what shapes work, what shapes don't work. And going back to old forms like the engineers would do things geometrically. They would do things with little mini tests, and we don't do that anymore. So that's all disappeared in terms of that. And so when a new engineer, I shouldn't say new, but a younger engineer or one from our era looks at an arch, they kind of go, oh, how the heck do I start this? And then they go back to a computer of which if they don't put the right input in, they obviously get garbage out. So it's not very helpful. (laughs) Some people say that older buildings have been over-engineered. We asked Penelope if she sees this as a good thing or a bad thing. Well, they are overbuilt in terms of that they didn't have the materials down to minor capacity. But now, because we engineer everything to precision, it means that any slight unaccounted for um, environmental act or, I guess, too many people or something that we just didn't anticipate will bring it down. Versus in the olden times, like you've got those buildings in Greece, which have been through a number of earthquakes and didn't fall down because of it. What techniques can we use to monitor the health of buildings? If we were to say in Ontario and we're looking at a masonry building, you can use things like x-ray or they have um, flat plate jacks that you can sort of put into a mortar joint and it kind of jacks between the bricks and figures out the load coming down. They've you got crack gauges and strain gauges that you can place. Um, You've got all sorts of instruments that we now have available that will help us learn about the building, where the loads are going. And then if we just watch it for a period of time, we can see how things are changing and perhaps deduce from that what has actually changed to put the structure in distress and then figure out a proper repair method. On the other hand, if people just go in and start patching the cracks without figuring out why it cracked in the first place, it's more than likely the crack will continue to grow, could continue to cause damage, and we're not really fixing the underlying issue. So it's just a sort of a Band-Aid repair. Um, If you're coming into Alberta and we're dealing with more wooden structures, you can obviously take cores of the wood, figure it out from that way. You know, get water samples, moisture content, um, check for 
termites, ants, all that sorts of fun stuff. But there's plenty of means out there with our new technologies of how to get that information so that we can figure out what's happening before we actually do something and ruin what was the original building. One of the projects Penelope worked on was the Center Street Bridge in Calgary. We asked what tests she used on it and what she discovered from those tests. Uh, That structure was built over quite a long time, actually. It probably took them about five years. The oldest arch, I believe, was 1911 finished, so just over 100 years old. It's a reinforced concrete structure. Um, When they repaired it, they realized that the guys had basically pulled the rock out of the river, and so it's all rounded, and the concrete's not built to the same standards as we would expect now. Got different kinds of bar from different eras. Like it's obvious there's been repairs in the past because the bar changes as per centuries and decades. Um, but for myself, I ended up doing a little bit of work on the lower deck, where we sort of put in one section with steel, and then on another section of the bridge, we put in some glass fiber reinforcing just to try and see if the non-corrosion of that would assist the bridge in any way and then did some dynamic testing with cars and strain gauges to check how it was faring sort of immediately after construction. And it was intended to be a long-term monitoring process, and it only got data for about three years before, basically, I graduated. My The gauges that we used were not suitable for the environment they were in. We lost quite a number of gauges in construction, like just in the process of trying to get them installed. Um, Then a bunch more died through the winter when it went down to minus 30, and they obviously came off the steel bars and weren't reading anything. But the other thing we noticed was you could see sort of cyclical changes through the day, like when the sun was in the east versus the west. We could see noise from bridges for buses going over the bridge above on the upper deck. But in terms of actually causing real readings on the lower deck, it was quite difficult. There was just too much background noise and too much other stuff going on, sort of dictating how it was behaving. Penelope, what sort of monitors did you use? And if you had to do it all over again, what would you change? On the Center Street Bridge, the gauges we used were, I had a mix of just standard strain gauges and fiber optic strain gauges. The fiber optics were very delicate and they basically cracked and became unusable at minus 30. The standard strain gauges rely on an epoxy to stick them to the steel bars or the um, glass fiber bars and that epoxy can be quite I guess delicate too. I We tried to protect the gauges as much as we could. I pre-embedded some of them into concrete to make sure that they'd be okay and then I put conc- like those pre-made concrete blocks into the deck but you still have the issue of construction workers walking around so they knocked a few of them off other than that just just wear and tear through the years they kind of came debonded from the steel and didn't function after a while so the, the standard strain gauges worked much better than the fiber optics I pretty much lost all the fiber optics after one winter so what can municipalities or other owners do to better monitor older structures well, they really need to come up with long-term plans, and so they have to decide what level of investigation they can tolerate and afford. So the Center Street Bridge was quite an intensive study, so 
having somebody there to catch the data and like download it periodically and so forth was would be quite painstaking and then they have to analyze it all so in Italy and places like that they often do periodic monitoring where they just go and they do a specific test one day and then they'll come back a few years later and repeat the same test and so that's a lot less I guess costly for the owner on the other hand it depends what information they need to get out so I mean if something is progressing fast then you'll want to monitor it faster and then you have to set up sort of I guess your what your expectations are how often it's going to be needed to be investigated and then determine all that versus your economics. What would you recommend to owners of historical buildings so they can better monitor buildings health? So if you owned a building and you're looking to keep it healthy what you really need to do is first off give it a good thorough once over you're looking for structural issues you're looking for big cracks and then I mean you yourself can go around and decide whether those cracks change in the first few years or if somebody in history like previous owners had not seen those cracks or noted them and if the what you the building condition you see now is different to that then maybe there's a need for calling in structural engineers and experts. So basically, I would suggest that they manage their own building to the point of like looking after it the way you would a pet, right? You want to go around and just check for issues and then decide, does it need to go all the way to the structural engineers or not? And if you do bring in the structural engineers, you would like set out the limits you have on availability of cash so that they can judge where to put the money and what's the best suited and what's the most likely cause of failure so that they can help guide you on an appropriate, I guess, monitoring technique, monitoring technologies, and so forth. We wondered if she would give different recommendations for municipalities or other governments than she would to other owners. I would do a historical search. So if I if I was just planning on purchasing an historic building and trying to decide sort of what might be expected for it, I would be doing a historical search on that structure, trying to figure out how it's changed through the years, and also talking to people in the area. Like, older seniors will remember things that maybe weren't in the papers, but just generally getting an idea of how valued that structure is for the people, and then what it may have seen within its lifetime. Is there an economic benefit of maintaining historical buildings? I think the economic benefit of maintaining a heritage structure comes just basically in the social community. They bring an attribute to the city that you don't get in any other way. So if we or if society had demolished all the buildings in Europe when as soon as they became obsolete, there wouldn't be that feel of going there and being surrounded by the history and all of that. I feel like there has to be a balance between the old and the new. And so you can make renovations, you can make changes, but I think they need to be, I guess, placed into the where they fit. You don't want to lose all the knowledge of the way the building was built by just taking out the insides and leaving sort of I guess, a front facade of what it was because there is still the value in learning the structure behind it and how it supports it. And by changing the back, you also like change the way that facade would be supported, which doesn't necessarily maintain the stability of the old building. But on the other hand, 
we do like fresh new things. So finding ways to incorporate the history with changing values, like adding in elements of new glazing, maybe giving it a fresh coat of paint. So, you know, updating it other ways, bringing it in sort of a vintage retro feel without actually changing, completely changing it. So I think there's a lot of value to repurposing, repurposing something without just putting it in the garbage, basically. One building with an interesting interior is the Simmons Building in Calgary's East Village. It is an older building. It's got a really cool floor system. It's one of the few last buildings with that type of floor system left in Calgary. And this probably getting to be one of the last few actual masonry wall buildings as well. Because Calgary has a habit of taking all the and putting up facades, like just taking out all the back structure and just putting it onto a steel frame, which totally changed it. So I'm really glad they kept the Simmons building. What was so interesting about the floor in the Simmons building? It's basically something we wouldn't do anymore. It's, I think, 2x10s or 2x12 wood boards, but they're placed vertically and just side by side by side by side. And so that they make the floor up of just like no plywood, just all 2x10s and you walk on that floor. And that's not how we build anymore, so it's kind of cool to see it. Calgary used to have a bunch of buildings as well where we would have sort of steel beams with little brick arches in between the steel beams, and then you'd put a wooden floor across the top of the arches and onto the tops of the steel beams. And that's completely gone. I don't know how many, I think I've, I've seen of a couple left in New York, but other than that, they've mostly been gutted from North America. Recently, we've seen new buildings incorporate older existing structures into their design, like the Music Centre in Calgary did. What are the challenges of building that way? In terms of how they incorporated it's the King Eddie Hotel into the National Music Center. I think they sort of went round some of the issues they could have experienced. So they basically took out all the interior structure of the King Eddie. They tagged all the bricks on the outside and then put it back like a puzzle onto a new steel frame. So from that perspective, I'm not sure how much of the heritage value of that building they actually managed to keep except for the exterior. But if you were to keep the interior structure, it does become quite challenging because you've got, you know, set foundations that you need to work around and walls and build that would maybe not have the capacity to carry too many extra floors or bridge loads, I suspect, are the most coming down on the King Eddie. So that would be quite challenging to work around. But I think there's ways you could put in structure adjacent to the old structure that would and like have... I guess, transfers that would be able to get you to, you know, fit within the existing framework. It's certainly a challenge. And on the engineering side, it's a bit more work and heavy calculations. But to keep the old building in itself, I think, is important. So I don't like the whole fact that they pulled everything out the middle and then just built a structure that would work. Often people think of a building only as the exterior or the facade. Penelope thinks it's important to try and maintain the interior as well. well it's, it's, um, so the reason I feel so strongly about maintaining the interior is because, for example, like I said, that the steel beams with the brick arches in between, nobody does that anymore. And in, that, in itself, that flooring represents our past. And, I, and if we've got rid of it all, then there's nothing left for us to go back and look at and think, hey, how did that work and learn from? So that all that knowledge and all that innovation that 
was there that maybe we didn't like, maybe we didn't, but that learning base is gone. So how can we judge? And I mean, maybe we'll repeat mistakes of the past just because we didn't keep examples of what we didn't like. So it's, I mean, sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes it doesn't have enough capacity, but that doesn't mean it's not worthless. It's still like, there's still something there that you can appreciate. And if it's gone, like, where do we, where do we start? Why is it important for the average person to understand the importance of maintaining heritage buildings? Everything changes as of an era. So you go in, you'll look at a building. I mean, nowadays they seem to be fixed on glass and having all the surfaces covered in glass. So if we were to, I mean, in 50 years time, like our children's children, are they going to go back and be like, oh, I don't like glass and rip out all the glass things that we love? So it there is an appreciation to the way it looks, too. I mean, people like going to Italy just to see the architectural features. We go to France to look at gargoyles and walk through the old churches and see the big arches. And it it has a different appearance. It's not the same. I don't it's not fancy new. There's a there's an like we like that sort of the parliament buildings. We like the green roof when the copper's already, you know, totally changed and oxidized. We like we I think people do enjoy seeing the history and the age of it. I think that in itself instills a feeling. It's kind of a cool sentiment to walk across a floor or even like I can think of some churches in England that are over a thousand years and you step on a stone and you know it's worn out because there's been so many people that came before me stepping in the exact same spot. And I think that speaks to people regardless of their professions. What are some techniques that would allow us to use more of the structure, both interior and exterior? I think we, um, to keep the old structures and use things that, like repurpose them essentially, I think we just have to be innovative in what we do. So for example, in the case of some of the older bridges, rather than throwing them out, maybe they weren't built to the same standards and qualities that we would expect now, but that doesn't mean they don't have strength. So if we learn more about the materials and the way they adjust, I mean, the way they've lasted 100 years, that in itself is a proof that they can survive quite, I guess, strenuous tests. So if we can prove to ourselves and earn a level of comfort on the design, I think we can show that most of these structures do have the capacity to do things that we want them to do. It's just learning enough about them to understand and being able to put that faith somewhere. But for those old bridges, for example, maybe we're not comfortable at the moment to turn them into four-lane highways, fair. But can we not just, you know, put them slightly upriver, slightly downriver, and repurpose them to become something, I guess, art-worthy? I mean, we Calgary seems to like the art. Turn it into a fancy bike path keep keep the old bridge but make it pedestrian and bikes only I mean you've there you right there you've already reduced the loads on it in half so is that not a viable option um if you're talking about a, a you know a building where the maybe the floor is not under capacity there, there's ways to reinforce these things like we can embed steel into wooden beams into the concrete and then we can cover it back over so that the appearance is still there it's mostly functioning the same way but we've used modern materials to give it the extra strength it needs there's ways around it we just have to really think about how we're going to attack the problem is it more expensive to maintain the appearance of a building and if it is is it worth the cost it depends on how far they need to go for so cost wise 
we're talking about how far they need to go to upgrade the structure or rehabilitate it, yes, sometimes it is going to be more expensive. But I know for myself, I might have that favorite pair of jeans. But there's sometimes I will actually go pay for a patch and I will pay for that patch 20 million times just because I want to keep that pair of jeans. So it, I guess it depends on society and what they would like to keep and what they don't. Certain certain cultures that's extremely important for them to preserve their structures, like, I mean, Thailand, obviously, things like Angkor Wat, those guys will put in a lot of money for those sorts of heritage sites. Europe, they'll pay a lot to keep their buildings. Maybe North America's not the same. Maybe we have different standards, but I think there still has to be a value attached to the history and to the heritage, and it's not, you can't just discard it on a whim. Can the government incentivize the maintenance of heritage buildings? And should they? So in terms of incentivizing people to want to keep the history, I do think there needs to be changes at a governmental level. Right now, our federal government is very hesitant to dictate to municipalities, provinces, private owners what they should do with their infrastructure. But on that basis, they do have guidelines, and they themselves have very strict regulations about what they would like to see done for their historic structures. Um, many countries like the UK and Europe, they do have programs where if your building gets designated, you have a list of like, depending on what grade it gets, depends on how much you have to follow the rules. So like a grade four is don't touch it unless, and like grade one, you can make minor renovations with X, Y, and Z, right? So I do think some of that stuff needs to change. I don't like the way that now we have historic designations, we hand them out, and then whoever owns it still has the right to do whatever they want with it. What's the point of a heritage designation if it doesn't mean anything and that the owner can do what he would like with it? It, it kind of makes that designation moot. So I, I do think there needs to be sort of legislative changes, but I can understand the hesitation to force people down a road. But on the other hand, if we don't do it, people will do what they want and that's not necessarily going to align with the common values of everybody. Penny explains some of the techniques used in monitoring the health of older buildings. Okay, so for different types of monitoring, we have things like x-ray and ground penetrating radar. So they would basically be scanning methods that you can get an idea of what's, say, in some concrete that we can't actually see through ourselves. Um, you can do the same on masonry, and they have... Each one has its own limitations, but obviously you can gain valuable information with those types of things. We have things like flat jacks and load cells and um, stuff like that where we can try and put them, embed them into places in a structure and get an approximation of how much um, axial load they'd be carrying. Um, we've, strain gauges will sort of tell us a relationship between the, the stress that is on that building and how much movement there is changing throughout the day or, or minute to minute. But they have to be placed very carefully and usually like bonded to something. So for a masonry structure, it's quite hard to get them in a place where you can bond them to something where it'll give you a meaningful reading. So there's other options of things like tilt meters, which would measure changes in slope. We've got crack gauges that change if a crack is opening or closing. You've, there's all sorts of gauges and instruments out there that we can use, like moisture monitors. There's like a Schmidt hammer test where you can sort of, in theory, hit a concrete and figure out how hard it is. They've all got their, I guess, 
their weaknesses and their strengths and their accuracies. So you kind of have to look around and figure out what you need, how often you have to do it, how many times you need to do it, what is giving you correct results or not, and that all of that sort of information before you can figure out which is the best instrument to use for your purpose. I've used fiber optic gauges within things like pipelines and they've worked really well. It depends where you're going to put them, how you can protect them. And obviously they're very sensitive to having the end clean so that you can actually get proper readings. So there's lots of things that, I mean, if it's in a dusty place that you just have to figure out ways around it or I know fiber optics have been very effective monitoring some things like some of the nuclear infrastructure. We've got some fiber optic gauges on some of Canada's nuclear plants, and they worked really well there. So it just depends on climates and what you're trying to get. What does Penelope believe to be the biggest differences between, say, Europe and North America with regard to the way they treat heritage buildings? I think in North America, we're sort of, we're very new. We don't have a lot of history that we can draw upon, and it's not all that old compared to other places in the world. And, I mean, our history is not going to get that old at the rate we're going because we keep ripping it out before it has a chance. But we have lots of space compared to other places in the world. We are probably more economically, like, minded than... The Europeans do place value on that historical, but they're also, like, with their limited space, they're willing to put in the money to fix it rather than build new because they know building new will upset adjacent structures. So I think they're just, and I think they've got maybe more of that history around them that they see it so often that it becomes important to see it. And if somebody had told them they were going to go in their city and you know, erase all of that and put up glass buildings instead that they'd get quite upset. But here, we don't see it very often where everything's, most of our structures are quite fresh and new and we've got the space to rip down, build bigger, big, taller. So we just do. I I, don't, I can't explain it. I'm, I come from a family where my, my heritage is British, so I I do have an appreciation for older structures, but I've been seeing them since I was really small. And it kind of, it also kind of bothers me when I drive through Calgary and, you know, things I used to love when I was little are now gone and I can't see them again. And I don't know, I don't know if I'm just the only one or what. We asked Penelope, why is it important to put the time and effort into our historical buildings? So for buildings that have been neglected and then need to be looked at and sort of decided whether it's worth repairing or not, I think you kind of need to go out and look around the community and around the sort of, I guess, locale and decide if it's a one-off, decide if there's something special about it that actually does deserve being preserved. If you use the example of 24 Sussex, if, I mean, if the next door neighbor's house looks exactly the same and has been kept in better condition, then no, maybe it's okay to get rid of it. On the other hand, if it is a one-off building and it has the importance that you know, make it one-off and specific to an era and teaching us about that era or that we just like the idea that it's held our prime ministers for however many years, then we do spend the money and that's worth something. And it's not a waste to spend money on something if 
if we're getting that sentimental value back because that's I mean you it's you can't put a number to it so it's really hard to gauge what it would be but for me I would spend the money because that's just the way I am but I I would like to come back and say nope this is where our prime ministers have lived for that many years. I mean, you go to the UK and 10 Downing Street is older than 24 Sussex and all the prime ministers still live there. Maybe they didn't neglect it or there's a, you know, a maintenance program in place that they haven't had the same issues that 24 Sussex has. I don't know, but I still think it's pretty cool that, you know, you know every prime minister in the UK goes to 10 Downing Street and that is worth something. What number? I don't know. If next door neighbors got the same house and you can just slide them sideways, maybe that's the way you go. But it totally depends on, I guess, the situation. And each case, I think, has to be judged for itself. If it's coming to be the last structure of its kind, then I would say put the money into it and try and keep that example around. Thank you, Penelope, for joining us. For Knowledge Counts, I'm Wendy Hobbs.